Welcome to the Proskauer Brief, Significant Developments in Labor and Employment Law from 2018. I'm Steve Hurd, and today I'm joined by my partner, Adam Lupian. We're going to discuss some of the more significant case law developments in labor and employment law from 2018, and then we'll also discuss some of the more significant NLRB and legislative developments in 2018. Adam, what's the most significant case law development in 2018 in your view? In my view, I think the Supreme Court's decision in Epic Systems uh, versus Lewis was undoubtedly the most significant development in employment law this year. In that case, the Supreme Court upheld the use of class action waivers in arbitration agreements, paving the way for employers to require their employees to arbitrate claims individually rather than on a class or collective-wide basis. But that wasn't the only Supreme Court decision of note. Steve? Uh, Well, I think there were two others. The Janus v. AFSCME decision on June 27, 2018, in which the United States Supreme Court held that it is a violation of the First Amendment to require public sector employees who are not members of a union to pay any union dues. Now, notably, this ruling applies only to public sector unions, and therefore unions operating in the private sector may still collect agency fees from non-members. I think the other one was probably the Masterpiece Cake Shop Limited case versus the Colorado uh, Civil Rights Commission on June 4th of 2018, in which the Supreme Court uh, ruled 7-2 to two that a baker's free exercise clause rights under the United States Constitution were not properly considered by the Colorado Civil Rights Commission when it required that he was legally required to bake and sell a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. Notably, the Supreme Court justices are scheduled to consider on January 18th whether to grant review in three cases that could decide whether employers can discriminate against LGBT employees without violating federal law. Now, I know that the Supreme Court had some important decisions, but there were also some significant decisions in 2018 in the lower courts. Adam, which one of those did you think was the most important? So outside of the United States Supreme Court decisions, uh, the California Supreme Court issued a decision uh, in a case called Dynamex that has uh, uh, wide-reaching implications for employers in California. And in that case, the California Supreme Court really made it more difficult for employers to establish that that individuals who work for them are independent contractors rather than employees, really shifting the burden on the employer to uh, meet the burden of independent contractor status, essentially overturning 30 years of precedent in California. In response to the Dynamex decision, there are competing bills at the legislative uh, level in California. One bill uh, proposed by the uh, Republicans would seek to revert to the pre-Dynamex standard that makes it uh, a little Uh, slightly uh, easier for employers to satisfy the independent contractor test and one bill proposed by the Democrats that would seek to codify the standard enunciated by the Supreme Court in Dynamex. So beyond the uh, case law that we've been discussing, there were also some major developments both with respect to the National Labor Relations Board's impact in 2018 and also legislative developments. Adam, what has the NLRB been up to? In September, the uh, National Labor Relations Board uh, announced a proposed rule on the joint employer standard under the National Labor Relations Act. Uh, Our audience might recall the uh, board's decision in Browning-Ferris 
that really expanded the definition of a joint employer under the uh, National Labor Relations Act. The board, the NLRB, under the current administration is attempting to scale that back and revert to the pre-Browning-Ferris standard in which an employer will be considered a joint employer of another employer's employees only if it possesses and exercises substantial, direct, and immediate control over the essential terms and conditions of employment. The NLRB also had some rules on handbooks. The NLRB Office of the General Counsel issued a memo on June 6, 2018, addressing updated standards for language in employee manuals and policies on a number of subjects. Essentially, the new standard establishes that when you're creating a new policy or revising an old policy, you should keep in mind the nature and extent of the potential impact those policies and rules may have on NLRA rights, and you should also have legitimate justifications associated with that rule. So any employers who are thinking about revising their handbooks or implementing a handbook for the first time should be familiar with that GC memo when drafting their workplace rules. Now, there was also some significant legislation in 2018. Adam, what were the states up to? Well, by now we're all familiar with the Me Too movement and sexual harassment. Not only has it uh, pervaded the pop culture uh, phenomenon, but it's also uh, had wide-ranging implications uh, in the workplace. Uh, For example, a number of states have enacted laws that limit the enforceability of non-disclosure and confidentiality agreements uh, in uh, settlements agreements, which are uh, common and routine provisions that we're all accustomed to. In addition, a number of states, including New York, have enacted laws that limit the enforceability of arbitration agreements in the context of sexual harassment claims. And in addition, uh, several states, including New York and California, have uh, enacted uh, more expansive sex harassment policies and training requirements that they're requiring of their in-state employers. There's also been a number of state legislative developments with regard to family and sick leave. Steve, can you tell us about those? There's been several uh, states that have implemented family and sick leave laws. For example, the New York paid family leave law went into effect January 1, 2018, and requires employers to provide eligible employees with partially paid job-protected leave to care for a new child or for a family member with a serious medical condition, as well as when family members are called to active military service. Looking ahead, Massachusetts paid family and medical leave law will take effect on July 1, 2019, and the District of Columbia's Paid Family Leave Act will take effect on July 1, 2020. Additionally, several states enacted paid safe and sick leave laws, including New York City, Rhode Island, Washington, Maryland, New Jersey, and the city of Duluth, Minnesota. And on top of those developments, there have been a number of jurisdictions that have restricted an employer's ability to ask about certain information during the hiring process. For example, states such as California, Connecticut, Delaware, and Massachusetts and cities such as Philadelphia, New York City, and San Francisco restrict an employer's ability to ask about uh, prior compensation during the uh, uh, application process. 
And a trend that we've noticed over the past several years is that uh, a number of jurisdictions have expanded uh, their, quote, ban the box laws, which prohibit employers from inquiring about an applicant's conviction history during the uh, application process. Employers should review their current onboarding documents and practices and, in addition, provide information and training to human resources professionals and other personnel regarding these prohibitions. That is particularly important given the number of different state and local jurisdictions that have competing and sometimes conflicting laws in this regard. So thank you, Adam, for your insights in this, and thank all of you for joining us on the Proskauer Brief today. Please stay tuned for more insights on the latest hot topics in labor and employment law, and be sure to follow us on iTunes. Mm -hmm.